Dogum, and welcome to Vibecast. Vibecast is Vibe Bio's weekly podcast where we explore some of the hottest topics in drug development, investment strategies, and technology innovation. Today's special guest is Max Shapiro. Max founded People Connect, uh, which is an organization which is an organization that helps connect life sciences companies and startups with executives and other professionals. And I'll allow Max to explain his background a little bit more in detail and um, what he's been working on. Hey, Max, how you doing? Great, Ray. How are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation with you and uh, thankful for you to, uh, for being here. So we can get started maybe giving the audience and community a bit of background about your career. Sure, sure. I am a serial entrepreneur. I did uh, many different things in my, uh, in my work life. Uh, started out actually scouting in the NBA. I was the youngest chief scout in the NBA. I scouted for the San Diego Rockets back in the late 60s and early 70s for the Phoenix Suns and ran basketball camps with the likes of John Wooden and Magic Johnson, Pat Riley, a member of other luminaries, and was involved in uh, putting on baseball fantasy camps in partnerships with the uh, San Francisco Giants and New York Yankees, Los Angeles Dodgers, and others. Uh, was also involved in a crazy little, little business, uh, which the uh, the big uh, sign behind me uh, is an illustration of. Uh, we were uh, buying and selling 10,000 to 20,000 pairs of used Levi's a month. So this is an old Levi's banner. And then in uh, 1999, a friend of mine said, you'd be good at recruiting. And I started uh, People Connect in late 99. So this this month, actually, we are uh, starting our 25th year, helping early stage startups build great teams. And we do it in a really unique way. And I say we're the most unique recruiting firm in the world, which is a pretty audacious statement, but I think I can back it up because to the best of my knowledge, I don't know any recruiting firm that will fill any position uh, any for any type of tech company at any level anywhere in the United States. So let me give you a real quick example. A few years ago, uh, we picked up some searches for a cannabis company in uh, Boulder, Colorado. They were trying to close their A round in order to do that. They needed a COO, a VP of sales, and an accountant. So we're talking C-suite, VP, individual contributor. We filled all three ro roles, even though we had not done any work in the cannabis space before. Mm -hmm. uh, so whatever the position you know, for a life science company, it might be a CMO, but a CMO for a life science company could be a, a chief medical officer as well as a chief marketing officer. But it doesn't just have to be at the C-level. Uh, if someone needs a VP of sales, we can help. Or if they need a sales development rep, an SDR, making 50 to 75 outbound calls a day, we fill positions like that as well as chief scientist and chief technology officer and VP director, you name it, we do it. And uh, I love doing that. Uh, and in addition, uh, 10 years ago, I started a company called Pitchforce, which is still going strong. Uh, we, for the first seven years, we're doing weekly pitch events, alternating between San Francisco and Silicon Valley, where we're based. And for the last three years since COVID, we've been doing those online. One week uh, is, is, is for life science companies only. And those life science companies, any type of life science company, may be raising its seed round or its A round because our panelists are split between venture capitalists and, and angels. So um, yeah. that, that's what we do. We love doing it. Right. And for 25 years, right? So you have a lot of experience with this. You've probably seen so many different types of pitches and entrepreneurs and investors as well. So you've really had a, you know, a wide um, breadth of potential companies that have came through your pitch force and other uh, aspects of your company. So what's changed? You know, what, what do you think has been the most important changes in terms of technology, the people? What did COVID do to your business? I'm just very curious how 
your business yeah. might have morphed over the years. Yeah, well, let's let's start with the most recent. Uh, COVID has made a huge difference uh, because before COVID, I would say maybe fifteen or twenty percent of the startup CEOs we dealt with would be okay with virtual workers, and then since COVID, it's like ninety-five percent say. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And maybe half of those say, I can't believe I'm really saying this, but yeah, I, the person doesn't need to be in our office. They can they can work from home or wherever they want to be. So that, you know, COVID has, has made a, had a huge impact there in the workforce and, you know, and, and, and people being able to work wherever they want. There are clearly drawbacks um, to that, to it, but it seems to be working for most people. Um other changes we got in the in this business the end of '99 again based in San Francisco you know the the high tech the dot com boom was going on and then the dot com bust came and that changed the world for you know for anybody involved in high tech especially for recruiters because companies weren't recruiting and uh, that we couldn't find companies to pay us our, our fees. So um, I've been a member of the, an organization called the Koretsu Forum, which is the world's largest angel organization. And back then, uh, companies were coming and they were looking for, let's say, a million dollars. And we'd say, what's the use of the proceeds? And they would say, well, our software isn't done. We need some more developers. Or our software is done. We need some salespeople. And we said, that's great. You know, if you had those people on board, we'd be more, more likely to invest. And they said, hello? Why do you think we're here? How are we going to hire these people without money? And luckily, a light bulb went off for me. And I said, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that are home, depressed, bored, tired of being an extension of their wife's honeydew list. Maybe some of them would work for three months or six months without a paycheck. And that's when we created uh, what we call employees without paychecks. So we were able to find people who for the first three or six months for a company that they thought and we thought had a good chance of getting funded during that time, they would work for options only. And then once the company got its funding, then they went on the payroll. That was about mm, five to 10% of our business up until COVID. Once COVID hit, then the world changed as far as employer-employee relationships and what people are looking for. And we have not been able to find people to work without a paycheck since COVID. Uh, there are startup companies that say, hey, you know, we've got this great technology, but I've never run a business, find us a CEO who will work without a paycheck. And I tell them, we can find you a CEO, but you're going to have to pay him or her, you know, $10,000 a month, $120,000 a year, which is not what they should be getting. But then it's on them to go out and raise the money so they can increase their salary. So we, that's, that, that's a, you know, huge change. Uh, and of course, you know, with the, with, with the, with the crash of 08, 09, the real estate crisis that, that changed the landscape as well, but, but we recovered from that. And, um, you know, 2021 was a fantastic year for anybody in tech, uh, which it was for us. 2022 wasn't uh, too bad, but 2023 has been a slow year. It was a slow year, glad to say. Glad to use the past tense because it, it seems like things are picking up even though we're just, uh, you know, in late late January now. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about this year being um, very positive in many ways. So looking forward to seeing some of that action this year, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's amazing how you mentioned that right now, no one really would work for no pay or just options. It's just not, you know, in their minds at all to do that. And that's fair. I think there is an expectation now from employees and executives to upfront get paid for what they're worth for their time. Um, yep. and are you seeing any innovations with artificial intelligence? Like some of the companies that come to you using AI, 
do you feel like a lot of these jobs that were so important five, 10 years ago are suddenly being augmented at least by AI? And what is your, what is your thought there? We're not experiencing that yet. I mean, we're certainly aware of it. We know it's going on um, and it will continue to, um, you know, I, I read several months ago about someone who was a copywriter and, you know, all the copy was being written now by chat GPT. And this person was, went from a, a copywriter with a nice salary to a dog walker. So there's going to be a lot of changes like that. I, I, I'm a half full glass kind of guy. So I think the, you know, the innovation uh, is going to be outstanding and hopefully the, you know, the potential negatives won't be too bad, but the changes we're going to go through are just going to be incredible in the next 20 or 30 years because of AI. Yeah, I'm with you right there. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of companies that we're seeing at Bybub, because, you know, we work with a lot of biotech startups and companies and a lot of the individuals and founders that we talk to, either they have a small team, they're developing a larger team, or they're trying to hire people. It's kind of on an ongoing basis, of course. Uh, but the emphasis on how important good people are, especially early on in a you know, company's life is is critical. Do you provide additional services or advising for these companies along with the person that might be getting hired? So how does that work? How does the transition work? You find someone? Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, you know, what we provide, we're really providing two things. We're helping early stage life science and non-life science startups get funding, which is a challenge. Uh, and then once that's over, then they've got another challenge, which is hiring great people. You know, you can't, we say, can't build a great company without great people, a pretty simplistic statement, but it's true. If you settle and, and end up with B players instead of A players, you're not going to have a great company. Um, and, and for our clients, we're usually placing two or three key execs. So these are companies just got their seed round or their A round. Um, so we don't, we're not involved with once a person is placed, you know, then, then anything that goes on uh, after our placement, uh, we're obviously there to help the companies if there are any issues. We guarantee our candidates if anything isn't working on either side in the first three months, we replace them at no cost. Um, but we're not really involved in the operation of, of the companies uh, once somebody starts there. Got it. And can you give me some examples of some of the companies you have helped? Uh, I know you mentioned the cannabis company earlier. Are there some maybe traditional life science biotech companies might have a one or two drugs in the pipeline? They're looking for investors there they really believe in these programs uh and then sure sure um just in terms of placements we, we recently uh placed a cfo at a medical device company uh we just placed a ceo at a company with technology that came out of the university of california berkeley cal and uh this was a professor in the engineering department who's got a a liquid glue um solution to be used in certain types of operations where sutures have a hard time staying together. Mm -hmm. And so they, they wanted a CEO and this was a situation where they, they wanted to get a CEO that would, uh, would work for equity. And I said, we can't do that, but you know, if you can afford $120,000 for the first year, we can find you somebody great. And we did. And, uh, they, you know, they're, they're excited about, about, uh, on both sides, the new CEO is excited about, the fundraising and what their process they're going through. He's been through that before. And the founder of the business, who's a, who's a professor, has no experience with a startup. And so they're, you know, they're, they've got a, a great uh, symbiotic relationship and, and they're just, they're just getting started. But we place chief science officers for, for um, other types of companies, but, and, 
with our um, with Pitchforce, we're seeing a lot of different companies. One of the things we're seeing with with companies is valuations are down, and sometimes valuations are too high. And I'll give you an example: when a company at Pitchforce came two or three times over a four month period, they they wanted to have a, another crack at meeting new investors because we have six investors at every one of our life science pitch forces and they, and they get rotated in and out. And uh, this company has technology that'll get people off opioids, which we know is a huge problem. Uh, here, here in San Francisco, uh, over 800 people last year died on the streets from fentanyl overdoses. And great team, big market, really have you know really good technology. And the, their challenge was that their pre-money valuation was too high. They thought their their company was worth twenty million dollars, and investors were saying it's it's too much. And so the CEO contacted me after his his last pitch at Pitchforce, and he said, "I realize our our pre-money is too high. Uh, if we don't raise any money, we can't grow our business. So what do you think it should be?" And I said, "I can give you a number." But why don't you talk to the investors that just heard your pitch last night and talk to others and let me know where you end up. And he called me about a week later and he said, we've lowered our pre-money from 20 million to 10 million. Uh, and he said, because we need this $3 million to grow the business and it really isn't going to make that much difference uh, whether we get investors at 20 or at 10. But what will make a difference is whether or not, or not we get the money to, to stay in business. And they, in the two months uh, since that, since they pitched, they're at two point seven of the three million dollars raised, and and so you know, entrepreneurs have have to be flexible, and they've got to realize where the market is today. Um, we just had somebody from uh, Transylvania, of all places. We talked to them, and they've got a, an idea—not a life science company, but a, a little um, device—and they're they don't even have a product out, and they're they're raising 1.2 million. And I said, what's your pre-money valuation? They said, $25 million. <laughs> you guys don't have a chance and you, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know yet. So we've got a resource guide that we sent them uh, included on that. There's a link to a book that I wrote, uh, an ebook that was, um, it's uh, 20 questions that investors want answered before they'll invest in your startup. So we provide services like that. We're trying to help these startups get funding. And when they get funded, uh, many of them come to us to help help them build a, a great team. That's awesome. And it's really cool that your investor network and community is so willing to assist and help and kind of support these companies. Um, I know our yes. CEO, Alok, was a member of that panel like a couple months ago in December, actually. Right. So it's really great to see that there are different voices coming through there. Yeah, he did, he did a great job, by the way. We, we got to get him back. Awesome. It's good to hear. What are the, some of the funding trends that you're seeing? You've noticed that last year was sort of a slow year. Can you share some insights or context into how 2024 is going so far? Yeah, it, it, it's looking good so far. We're still telling companies, you know, how much you're going to raise? And they say, well, $5 million. And, but they're really early. And I say, let me ask you a question. What could you do with a million? How long would that last you? What milestones might you hit over six months or nine months? It's going to be a lot easier to get that million now than it will be to get five because you're not very far along. And then what will happen is once you've hit the milestones, then you come out and do a bigger round at a, at a higher valuation. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing companies adjusting uh, their their valuations. But there are companies that, that pitch with, with us and companies that are clients of ours that were raising more money that are, are getting very close to, to closing. Two of them are close to closing $10 million fundings. So that's that's a good sign. The fact that the economy's up and, and uh, confidence is, is up, inflation looks like it's under control. Those are all good signs. 
some good tips for entrepreneurs there, but do you have some tips for investors themselves? Maybe while they look for different types of companies they might be interested in, are there any like red flags that they should be really concerned about? Sure, sure. I mean, what what's really important, you know, and we ask the panelists uh, at the start of each pitch force, what's the most important thing for you when you decide to make an investment? And, and a lot of them say team, and it's not self-serving because we're in the people business, but you know, I've heard a lot of investors say, you can take a great founder and a great team and give them a mediocre idea. They can turn something into it. And if you've got a great idea, great concept, big market, but you don't have the people to pull it off, it's you're not going to be successful. So I think team is important. I think for investors, they they need to realize that it's going to be a long-term relationship uh, and, and for, the, for the entrepreneurs to realize that and make sure when they're taking money for an investor, whether it's an angel or a VC, that they really know and like those people because they're going to be spending a lot of time with them. Uh, I often hear very early stage entrepreneurs say we've got, you know, four VCs that, that are interested and, and two things there. One is that most of them are too early for VCs and the, and the VCs aren't going to tell them this is really a stupid idea. You know, you're wasting your time because it very, very rarely is. And, it, and, if, and if it is, they're probably not going to tell them that. And, you know, and they've got a, the entrepreneurs, the investors, the VCs, especially, have, you know, the fear of missing out. But on another way of, of, uh, of talking about it is sometimes I hear uh, companies say we've got term sheets from two or three VCs. And I say, that's great. And they're doing their due diligence. I say, that's good. What kind of due diligence are you doing on them? And they say, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, you better, you know, you better make sure that the people you're taking money from have treated other people, other companies they've invested in, they've, they've treated them well. And that's easy enough to, to find out and ask them for references, but also to look up and see companies that they've invested in and, and reach out to some of the ones that the, that the VC may not have given you, just to, just to get a sense of, of how, they, how they treat the, uh, the entrepreneurs and the startups in their portfolio. Interesting. Yeah, I know due diligence, both on the entrepreneur and investor side, are really, really critical for long-term success. So I'm with you there. Have you seen some innovations around due diligence in terms of how it's conducted? Maybe, because I know right now, if you're applying for a job, you create a resume. At some point, especially if it's a larger company, that resume is going through some AI detection application to kind of filter out which applicants make the most sense. So the one question is, are you and is people connect using an AI to filter out candidates? And then are you using something for the due diligence as well? Yeah, I haven't seen it to the, to the second part. I haven't seen anything yet using AI for due diligence. I'm sure there are people working on it now. Um, so, and, and for the candidates, we're not using a lot of AI. What we do when we take on a search is we put together a list of about 150 candidates per position, which is like, people say, how in the hell do you come up with that many people? And, and we do some old-fashioned stuff. We do old-fashioned headhunting, which is what recruiters used to have to do before the internet. So we're going to reach out to people working at companies that have been identified by our clients and that we've identified as places where these people might live, and we'll see what kind of interest they might have in the opportunity we've got for them. Uh, number two is we've um, got over 80,000 resumes in our database because, as I said earlier, this is our 25th year in business. And then we're anywhere and everywhere on the internet. So, you know, a lot of companies that choose to work on their own and not pay a recruiter will put one posting on LinkedIn or Indeed or something. Um, we're on 135 different job boards and discussion groups. So we come up with a great list of candidates. We interview 20 and, 
we get our clients at least three well-qualified people within four weeks. But we're, we're looking at some possibilities of using, I just uh, was, was looking at something today where we might reach out, somebody reached out to us and might respond back to them about using AI to, to find candidates, find qualified candidates. And, um, so that's, that's certainly happening. There's a lot of, a lot of potential uh, tech, technology being worked on for the recruiting space um, you know, as we speak. Very cool. And I'm sure that'll evolve over time. You know, probably not really that great now, but over time it will be. That's what I think, right? No, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree totally. Um, yeah. We're about to wrap up here, but I do have a final question. I'm wondering what kind of partnerships are you currently looking for? In addition to investors and startups, are there other sorts of companies that you find to be important in the ecosystem? Yeah, we're, we're working with, um, you know, with companies that, that are helping startups get funded. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, there's a number of companies. There's a company called uh, Peach Score. There's a company called uh, Seed Scout that provide really inexpensive uh, ways for uh, entrepreneurs to be in touch with, with investors. Uh, there's a company called Thinkfish, which puts people in touch with um with 25 investors over a three-month period, another company called 10 Capital that does the same thing. So there are other opportunities there, and uh, we're you know when when a company goes through pitch force, where whether they have a lot of interest from the investors or they don't, we're we're following up and having conversations with them and suggesting places they can go where we know investors live. And there are a lot of investors out there looking for deals. You know we have five or six investors on a pitch force, as you, as you know, uh, every week. And one of my friends said to me, well, how much money do you pay those guys and, and the gals? And I said, we don't pay them anything. Everybody's out looking for a good company to invest in. So there's still a lot of that. It's, it's happening. And uh, you know, I'm a member of the Kretsu Forum. I heard pitches today from four companies, two of whom had been at pitch force before and did well enough to to go uh, up to the big leagues, you might say, and, and pitch at Karetsu Forum and, and, and did very well. So it's exciting to see everything that's going on in, in life science and, and um, so many different ways. And um, I was a member for, of uh, Life Science Angels um, this past year. I just joined about a year ago. And just to see all the interesting technology coming through there. And the thing about life science is for the entrepreneurs and the investors, you know, you can do well and do good at the same time. You know, you're extending people's lives, you're improving the quality of their life, you know, which is uh, a lot more rewarding than a company that, hey, we got this great idea. You're going to save 15 seconds switching between Instagram and TikTok. It's like, really? <laughs> what's it? What's the, you know, is there really a, a market for that? And more importantly, like, what kind of good does it, does it do? You know, that's fair. And I did watch a few of the videos um, after the fact of the pitch forces for life sciences, really entertaining as well as, you know, informational, yes. I think. Uh, the way I see it is it's sort of like a, a shark tank for life sciences companies. Yeah, it, but it's, it's kinder. I mean, all, all the investors have been on the other side of the table. So they're, they're direct, they're honest, they're critical, but at the same time, they're kind. They're all kind, yeah. And, yeah. and if somebody isn't kind, you're not, you're not seeing them again because we've got a whole bunch of people we choose from to to choose our five or six every week. That's fair. I appreciate that. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? And just to mention, you know, as you know, Vibe Bio also looks for companies to invest in as well. But like you said, there are so many investors out there and there are so many companies out there. It's just a matter of finding the right investors with the right individuals who believe in the same 
or similar future, I guess you can call it. Yeah, I mean, I think the last thing I would say is it's just exciting to be involved in the startup world. So I, uh, in, in April, I'll turn 81 and I'm working about a 50 or 60 hour a week, but it doesn't feel like work. You know, talking to you isn't work. Talking to these startups isn't work. Helping them get funding, helping them build great teams. It's fun. It's exciting. I got a lot of friends my age who are retired, some of whom have flunked retirement, you know, oh, this is great. I sold my business. I'm going to play golf four days a week. And then after a while, they, they want to get back in the game somehow. So I'm not, I'm not planning to stop working uh, any, any time in the near future, May, maybe cutting back a little bit, but I'm having too much fun in, in working with great people, uh, you know, on our team and, you know, meeting people like, like you, like we did at the, uh, the Boston Venture Summit in December. It's all good. Likewise, yeah. I think, you know, you've obviously become a, a big mentor for a lot of these companies as well. So um, thank you for all the work that you've done for the community and for the startup community, the entrepreneurship uh, community. Keep it going. Uh, 81, that's, that's awesome to hear that. And um, looking forward to continuing this collaboration with you. And if there's anything else you want to share with the audience, when's your next pitch force? Maybe that'll be nice to know. Yeah, we, well, our next life science pitch force is Thursday Okay. On, on, on February 1st. And the one after that is February 21st. And if anybody wants to listen to a pitch force, they don't have to sign up and wait for one of those dates. All you have to do is go to the pitch force website, which is pitch-force.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. There are links to all of the past life science pitch forces. Just click on one. All of a sudden, the video will start. You spend a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, on your time, sort of like Netflix, and and you'll see what it's like and and see if it's uh, if uh, as an entrepreneur you're interested in presenting or we we've, we've got investors contacting us want to wanting to sit in on our panels as well. That's awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, Max. Really appreciate your time. This might get published after the, the 1st of February, so look for the February 21st one uh, if you're listening. Wonderful. All right, great. Thanks, Ray. It's been a pleasure. Likewise.